Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special polychromatic podcast session. It is Sunday, February 19th, and we are here. I uh, wanted to let you know, we, you're probably hearing this on Monday because we're going to actually um, release it, automatically release it on Monday, just because it's going to be the start of the week for you guys. It's kind of unexpected. We already did a podcast yesterday, so this is kind of a special treat for you guys right now. Um, additionally, we are not actually, we don't really have a topic today. Uh, the topic is let's talk. Let's talk about us. Um, so you can guys can get to know us a little bit better naturally. And uh, so it's going to be just kind of a free form, um, whatever we want to talk about. But I thought to get us started, we would uh, maybe read off our horoscopes. Absolutely. I think we should introduce ourselves. I'm Elaine and sitting next to me here is my son. Zach, co-host as well. And we call our podcast the Polychromatic Podcast because it's really representative of the fact that um, we've experienced the spectrum in life, I think. I think we've experienced some real highs and some real lows. And we also take the time uh, vocationally to educate ourselves on things. You know, I usually watch a lot of YouTube videos. I do a lot of reading on the internet. And these are my my natural vocations. Back before when I was working in a lab, I would find myself coming back home and watching science videos. And so I used to think that was a kind of a phony kind of thing that people would do, you know, to just create an image of themselves. But really, I started to become impassioned with it. And so um, for me, you know, science, getting involved in research, um, specifically getting involved in nicotine addiction research um, since pretty much early 2014 to present, um, really kind of shaped my, has really shaped my life for the past several years. Unfortunately, I had a health incident. Um, I, I guess I'll go ahead and tell them now. Um, I lost my leg due to an infection, um, something that we spent two years and 10 surgeries trying to, well, seven surgeries trying to solve, and then another three surgeries to actually get an amputation. Um, while it's quite tragic and while, while it pulled me out of research, and um, I'm away from everything at this point. Um, it's one of those experiences that you can never prepare for. And um, it's, you know, something that you feel, you can feel very lost about. And so my mom here has been next to me witnessing all this. And um, so that's kind of been what we've been mulling on, what's been occupying a lot of our time and a lot of our energy has been um, dealing with the fact that there's been a huge hit to my mobility. Well, Zach, I think it's very courageous that you talk about this. Um, this is part of the reason why we really start our podcasts as well. Um, we have had a lot of real traumatic experiences. We're still in the midst, I believe, of the grief and the shock and the numbness that comes with it. And the more we do these podcasts, you're really going to find out more and more about us because we do want to be transparent. It's not you know, there is a privacy part of this that we don't go out and we don't tell everyone in the world, which I guess we're doing now, uh, but not everyone we meet at each particular time about our life. But I think that we're hoping when, that other people will connect, as we've said so many times. Polychromatic is about connecting with others. And so with our own experiences in many different areas of grief, loss, um, and just speaking specifically since Zach brought up about his leg, 
the basically the the feelings that go around that and and walking that down that road is extremely difficult and um we want to find ourselves now because refind ourselves reinvent ourselves reinvention and that's where i was basically going with what i'm saying when when you lose something or someone i should say when you lose someone you lose a part of you the same is true when being a mom you see your son lose his leg you have to learn who you are now after going through that experience because it is extremely traumatic and not only for Zach who's been I can't even imagine his trauma because I'm not in his shoes as I've said so many times mm -hmm. but as a mom it's been heartbreaking and very difficult to watch it has um, actually I was living in California and moved back to Colorado because of it and it has been a life changer for both of us. And so we, as we have been positive throughout our lives, um, as we have um, experienced extremely difficult and tragic times, we do this once again. And so uh, connection is deep within us because that's what we know. And we also understand trauma. And tr absolutely trauma. And as you probably have already realized, Zach and I are extremely close. We actually... Um, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of like a twin. Uh, we know what each other is thinking. We'll go to the refrigerator at the same time to Even get yogurt. Even if we're 1,300 miles away, which was the case for the past 12 years um, before. So it was actually 14 years ago. But two years ago, 12 years we spent apart. Um, she was in California pursuing her education in her field. I remained out here. Um, I did not go with her. And we got to grow on our own. We got to become seasoned and not codependent on one another. So it was a very trying experience, a very challenging, hard experience for us to have to kind of lean on ourselves rather than one another. But I think it made us stronger in the long run. I totally agree. I think that um, at the time, it was what I needed to do because I was literally dying of a broken heart from another aspect of my life, which we'll bring up at another time. And realize that if I really did, two things actually two two three really, if you include me with my well I'll tell, I had cancer in two thousand five so that's another thing um, <laughs> yeah if we just focus on you with that there are three things there's a couple other really traumatic things not to mention um just through the years we've been through so much and that's part of the reason why we really wanted to do podcasts because our life. We've gone through many, many things that probably relate to many people out there. Yeah, we um, all feel this change. Everything's changed from the way it was in the 90s, right? Doesn't it feel like we live in an entirely different world now? Well, that, but not only that, is, is that when we go through these personal griefs, there's a part of us that feels like other people don't understand. And, and quite honestly, that's probably true. It's probably fair. But I also think that people out there um, who've lost a limb could really gain and benefit from this podcast and future podcasts because it has to be extremely hard to pick yourself up from, from what that means that for the rest of your life because that's yeah. a life-changing event that will be the rest of your life. 
me as a mom with going through trauma with two other members and this on top of it has been really um, made me so brokenhearted that it brings back the old trauma of the past things. And I had a very difficult time getting to the point of where I am today, and I'm still recovering from this. And um, when I say recovering from this, it's going to take time. It's going to take me time to reinvent who I am, just as it is Zach. And so, you know, I mean, to be able to say what you did today, Zach, I I'm sort of feel like I maybe caught off guard a little bit. Caught off guard because I didn't know you were going to, to do this, but that's what we do. We don't script. We talk about what's on our mind and that's really where we're going to go today. But anyway, um, uh, going back to what you had spoken about before when I'm, um, I'm, I ended up in California, which was one of the most amazing things in my life. And we'll go into more detail because today we were going to just talk about Zach and I, um, for today. But, um, I do want you to eventually know that through all of this, there is a beautiful silver lining of, of what I've done in my life and how this has made me become more courageous to reach out and do things I never thought I would have done. And really, when you're in that position of trauma and loss, you can either give up or you can say, I'm going to be, I've got to figure out something. So as I was saying, I was, I moved to California because I was dying of heartbreak. And I can tell you what that's like. That's like, I could actually feel myself dying. And it is, for those of you that may have actually experienced those feelings, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. And for some people, they do die. Like you talk about spouses Mm -hmm. that have been together for many years and one spouse dies and within a couple months, maybe even less, or a few months later, the other spouse dies. That's, they die of a broken heart. It's a very real thing. Mm Mm-hmm. The statistics are really against you for a living. I have fought to not die of a broken heart. And after Zach lost his leg, or I knew he was going to lose his leg, it was one of the most terrifying times in my life, even though I've had a lot of trauma. And I didn't know at one point if I was going to come out the other end. I thought, I'm very strong, and I don't, but I did not know whether or not I could make it through it. So yeah. what it was like for me, the best way I can describe it is being on the edge of a cliff and losing my balance and trying to gain it back or being on a tightrope and trying not to fall off. And I had to really, in my mind, condition myself to think more than ever, I've got to hold it together because he needs me more than than any, probably any other time in his life. And so miraculously, and I think it is pretty miraculously how we have pulled things together to make them positive Mm -hmm. and move on in our life. I hope this is somewhat an inspiration to those of you that are going through hard times and know that God, I, we know our hearts with you. We know the depth, the absolute freaking depth of losing people, of losing what it, it is like of me witnessing Zach losing his leg and Zach himself being able to share with with you what it's like. And we're still early on. This just happened in August. And 
It was after two years of exhaustive um, energy that very frustrating with um, the doctors that were presently involved. Earlier on, yeah. Earlier, not presently, but earlier on that honestly there was Mistakes no, were made. Mistakes were way. made. There was, there was no support. And these people walk away and they don't care. They don't. And so there's still a lot we're processing. So for me to be able to name this in a way that I can really name it clearly, I'm sure a year from now I'm going to be able to talk about this and and tell you more of what I've learned from this. But I'm on a journey, and Zach's on his journey, and we're on this journey together because he's my son. I will walk with him wherever he needs to go because more than ever he's needed me to be there, and I plan on doing that. So anyway... Uh, yeah, like I, I've had to try to come up with words. We don't script anyway, but just to be able to go to that place of what this is like for me and be as descriptive as I can, that's pretty much the way it's been. And I just want to say, Zach, from the whole core of who I am, you are such a courageous young man and you've taught me so much about life and you are my hero because Aww. I don't believe that Many people your age could have walked the walk of trauma and sadness you have, and you mm -hmm. still do not give up. And oh my gosh, you guys, I do have to tell you something very exciting. He's walking on his prosthetic and doing amazing. And it's like, I'm going, wait, you just got this. How can you be walking? And this is who he is. I'm telling you, this guy's amazing. And I'm so super proud of him because... Aww. You don't, you don't hold back and feel sorry for yourself. You're never the victim. You don't play victim role. I, I learned from my biological father, playing the victim is not the way to go. Is it okay if I say some stuff? I don't want to interrupt you. Absolutely. I just felt like I just kind of mm -hmm. had to go into... <clears throat> the depth of it. The depth of what this is from like. Because I felt as though when you brought this up, whoa, this brought a welling in my heart of a lot of different feelings and yeah. trying to explain to our listeners and also trying to let people know as a parent um, what this is like. If you've experienced um, something with loss of a child or loss of a child going through something like this. And so anyway, yes, Zach, you may. I just felt as though I needed to define it as much as I could. And we'll talk about, I'm sure we'll talk about this more as it goes on. I mean, I think you guys are all on this walk with us. And no, if you're going through something similar, we want to be on that walk with you too. So anyway, yeah. I hand it back to you. I didn't mean to, Is what I'm trying to say is I did not mean to go into so much detail, but um, really my heart was just in that place when you, when you brought the subject matter up. Yeah, I was going to say the overarching theme in our life for the longest time has been revolved around disease, um, both you know, conditioned and natural, uh, not to go into detail, but for me, myself, um, I just wanted to say two things of what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to talk about from my perspective, what it's been like, but then I'm going to also go straight into the horoscopes so we can kind of break it up. Um, <clears throat> so from my perspective, suffice to say I had cancer in my leg in 2005 and in 2005, I went through, um, some serious, health issues that I was only given a 15% chance of surviving. Fortunately, I survived it. I went back to school. I studied pre-medicine. 
I wanted to give back. I got involved in research. Now, along the way, because of that cancer, I had metal in my leg. I went through, my leg was never really 100%. Um, you know, they rebuild it, but when they pull out a tumor that's hollowed out, completely hollowed out your tibia, um, it's going to be hard to reconstruct that in a way that is, um, you know, pain-free and functional, uh, completely functional. You know, you're losing your patella, patellar tendons, so you're not able to really extend your leg as easy. There's a lot of extensor lag. Um, these are terms that you'll hear in physical therapy if you're ever involved in a leg injury. Um, you'll be very familiar. But extensor lag just means that you can't straighten out your leg completely um, in English terms. Um, you know, physiology has a whole different um, scheme of uh, anatomy and physiology terms. Um, so anyways, my perspective it was I was dealing with chronic health issues that uh, came on in, 2000, in 2015. Um, I went to my primary care doctor. She just thought I was depressed or anxious because I had a history of that. I told her that this was very different. She didn't trust me. She did do some things early on that I have to give her credit for. She did, um, since I had a cancer history, agree to do a full body CT, which is a whole huge dose of radiation, but just to make sure there wasn't any cancer reoccurrence. Um, so that was reassuring. Um, my oncologist said, you know, you probably want to get in contact with your leg doctor, make sure there's not anything going on with your leg. Unfortunately, I did have surgery on my leg in 2014. Um, it took me especially long to get better with that. Um, I feel like I was judged unfairly from her. So next time my interaction with her was not good. And I predicted it was not going to be good. She really put me on the spot and she really judged me in ways that were not fair. I think you can use your imagination to know what that means. Um, later, I might be more explicit about this, but I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. So anyways, um, I was accused of doing something, which I didn't. I just was dealing with a chronic health issue. She didn't even really check out my leg. So I'm dealing with this stuff. I then become a lab manager in 2018 and just push through, you know, just treat the symptoms um, uh, pharmacologically. And so now we get to February 2021 and my leg is in full breakout mode. It's completely infected over the course of from Thursday to the following Monday. And I had to go in during the weekend to um, tend to the animals. Um, and uh, once I got to Tuesday, I was hardly able to walk. I don't even remember. I think I got to see, went in to see my orthopedic doctor on that Thursday. So she told me I might have to do a two-stage revision. Um, which is where they have to take out all the metal, replace it with antibiotic cement around a metal rod. They have to actually fuse the leg so I don't have a knee for a period of time. But she decided that it was probably early on based on their test and what I was saying. They thought they might have caught it early. So they were going to save me all that hassle and put me through a one-stage revision. The problem is, I'm going to be critical here, but my surgeon really kind of did a piss-poor job because all my surgeries to try to treat this were always the last surgery of her caseload on a day. So she was already tired. The team was already tired. And I don't have no way of proving this, but I'm pretty certain they didn't do a dirty side of the operating room and a clean side of the operating room. What does that mean? It means that when they go to cut everything out, they move you to an entirely new clean table to put it, put everything back together. Um, that's a, that's generally speaking, switching gloves, switching all their PPE, that's protective equipment that they're wearing to entirely new ones, uh, rewashing, rescrubbing. 
is probably critical to treating my kind of infections because I got five separate staph epi infections that they could not get rid of. They made it sound like the entire time it was the same infection. So let me just say this real quick and then this will really summarize it. I got put under general anesthesia 10 times to get this under control, the whole tube and all. And for one of them, I was in such a weird position that I couldn't swallow after the surgery. I spent 21 days in the hospital for my amputation. And it took three uh, um, surgeries related to the amputation to get it finished. And then it took another, let's see, because that got us to October 3rd, November 3rd, December 3rd, January 3rd. It was another three months until I got my prosthesis. And I'm only on my, just finished my third week of um, of PT. Um, I am able to be up, but for short periods of time, it's still very painful to fully weight bear. I've got a ways to go. I don't know with insurance, insurance, you know, uh, I think I have 40 visits per year. I had already used 12 or 16 before this. So I think I have 24 or something. That's enough for six weeks. Um, I asked my physical therapist, you know, if I could pay out of pocket, he said, you can't afford it. Um, they're hour long sessions. Um, we really focus on some things. Last thing I learned was what's called a three point walk. I'm going to be learning a different type of, um, gate pattern next time. So anyways, um, to break it up though, cause that was all very dense and very, um, probably emotionally dense. And we, I think it'd be helpful for just to us to kind of decompress here real quick. Um, I wanted to read the horoscopes. Is that cool? Mm-hmm. So I happen to be a Gemini and I definitely know in my heart, I'm a Gemini because I've got two people constantly battling in my head. It seems like, um, so my horoscope for this period of time for February, I guess for this magazine is uh, Gemini. Um, you are able to see exactly what you need to do next and when best to do it. A location you've always loved to visit and can be a part of your future now. Truths you may have felt you had to hide flow from your lips. Well, what am I doing right now? I'm letting these things out. I don't know if it's a good idea. I don't know if it's going to be well met, but I'm going to go ahead and take the risk and do it. Um, I'm being as transparent as I'm comfortable with at this point, and I am pushing my comfortability level a little bit out, but um, I think it's kind of important for context. And then it goes on to say, you are ready to say more in true Gemini fashion. And I'll tell you, Geminis are extremely talkative. Um, if you pair two Geminis together, and I happen to know um, a very wonderful older woman who happens to be an older client of mine, um, I used to have a um, a side business. She and I, anytime I'd come over to her house to work on something, she would seriously get completely entranced in conversation with me in a way that was just so hard to pull away. And um, I'm not sure if you've ever had those kinds of conversations before, but they're very real. And then would you like me to read yours real quick? If you don't mind, I'd appreciate it. And remind me, what are you again? I'm a Virgo. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I guess I know what your birthday is. I could actually look, but okay. Virgo. Ambitions may have led, sorry, ambitions may have to be left on hold for longer than you would choose, but now you get to the chance to turn them into reality. You may need to be firmer with family and friends and make sure you dedicate enough time to your own dreams. Wow. That's huge for me because I have not been focused on myself at all. Um, I moved out here and back from California 
quick move in November of 2021 and have totally been focused on Zach, which needed to be, and trying to get my life back together for me um, at this time, which um, I've got a lot of plans and a lot of positive things That's I think is in the near future. So I think that's pretty telling. I think that's actually really true that I need to really do some focusing on myself because a lot of it's really been tied up with my stuff to the point that I think it has been difficult for you to be able to focus on any of your other vocations, any of your other things you're wanting to pursue. I think the latest thing you told me, if it's okay, I talk about it is um, you are wanting to do your own podcast, separate podcast, um, self-help podcast. And um, as an extension of your business to um, put some helpful stuff out there, um, out in the ether for people to be exposed to um, in a way that naturally, organically will draw them to getting to know you as a therapist before you do work with them. So they really know what to expect when they do work with you, if they do choose to work with you. And I think you're an amazing, amazing, amazing person that gives up so much of your heart and soul to what you do. It's not just a job, it's a calling. It's very purpose-built in a way that um, is truly meaningful. It's not some sort of facade. It's not just a money-grabbing operation. You do it for the love and passion of it. I can very much tell because I know you've always operated in that way. It's just sometimes it's hard with your specific population to get paid for your work, unfortunately, just due to the nature of it. Well, I'll tell you what, it's not for the pay, it's for the love. And you're absolutely right. Thank you about that, Zach. Um, I really did learn a lot about myself and I went back to school and the population I work with are people with uh, co-occurring disorders, uh, primarily in the substance use area, um, mental health. That's what the co-occurring disorders are. Generally, most people who have a substance abuse dependency slash dependency issue also have a co-occurring disorder, which means anything from anxiety to depression to bipolar to other types of mental health. These go hand in hand and doesn't matter which one happens first, but I've never met anyone who is not co-occurring with the disease. Um, That is what Zach is kind of preparing you for is... um, This has changed my life in such a dramatic way because my connection I make with people most of the time is I've never met a therapist like you that gets this, okay? Mm -hmm. So I do put my heart and I love what I do. And these people are like my, I call them my peeps because I understand them. And because you know what? I found is people with the disease of addiction have the most sensitive, beautiful souls. And Mm -hmm. we don't stop to really think about that because we think a lot of them are in trouble with the law. Well, that all happened with using to begin with, because when people use, they do things they normally would not do because drugs are so powerful. You will do whatever you need to be able to not only find them, but to be able to pay for them. Well, and you know the reward pathways in the brain. I'm not meaning to speak over you, but as you know, as you already very much clearly know, reward pathways in the brain are in the lower brain centers, in the brainstem, et cetera. And the problem is there's also the amygdala. And the amygdala can hijack the frontal cortex, which is our higher brain centers. 
It's like the same thing is imagine an alarm going off saying run, 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 and it's not ever turning off. Well, absolutely. And see, the problem is, is once you start using substances, dopamine level is you no longer produce dopamine in your own brain. It goes to very high levels, and that is what makes it so hard. And this is when I begin my podcast on this. That's what makes it so extremely hard for people to stop because the simple things in life anymore are boring because they've taken been, their neurons have been fired to such a high level of dopamine that that memory is there. And so it's not as easy as some people think, all you got to do is stop this. That is to me ignorance because for people that have that opinion, they've not even Googled to look for themselves. All you got to do is Google it and it'll tell you everything yeah, about it. It's not, it's, it's, it's a science. There is a science to it. And basically people that, as I was saying, that have this disease are people I like. People that are genuine, people that take their shirt off their back for you because they genuinely care. They're kind. When they're using, no. But innately, who they are under, underneath those drugs and, and the legal issues they've gotten mm-hmm. themselves into are some of the most amazing, brilliant, wonderful personality, uh, unique uh, for their own unique selves um, and very interesting, incredible human beings. So I'm looking forward to doing this. And, you know, I've been told by many, many people from my job, I worked at a psychiatric hospital when I lived in California. Um, and I was told back then, um, you need to write a book. You need to, I mean, you know mm-hmm. this, you, you've you got to get out there. Anyone. And because... I decided I would do this podcast. I've been wanting to, to do things for a long time, but I decided after we started Polychromatic, I really want to do a podcast so that those of you that struggle with this may be able to find comfort in what I have to say. And you may feel very connected. And maybe through these podcasts, those can be very helpful. I think to it's you. a preview. And I just wanted to say something real quick. Is that okay? Um, I want to say that, you know, people that do become addicted, it's like they're chasing a phantom. It's well, like it's like continually out of reach because it's like it's trying to go back to that first experience and you can never get back to it. And so you're chasing a ghost. You're chasing a phantom. You know? Absolutely you are. Um, and and the, problem, the problem is most people that even begin, it can be mental health um induced, meaning that you self-medicate because of your anxiety is so bad that you can't handle it. And so it's mainly about being able to handle the feelings that you feel so deeply. And that is where the highly sensitive people come into play with this, because I truly believe with my own work and I have actually not done a research paper on it. I, and I have not actually done counts, so I cannot but I, will, I, I would believe that most people with this disease are some of the most sensitive people you'd ever want to meet because I would say at least over 90% of the people I've met, and I've met hundreds upon hundreds of people, are some of the most high, sensitive, kind individuals you'd ever want to meet. So 
More on that. I'll keep you informed as to when that is going to be happening. Um, hopefully within the next few weeks, I plan on getting on onto that. And hopefully um, that will be a way that many of you can connect that do have an addiction issue. And hopefully at some point, just as we plan with polychromatic to have call-ins. <clears throat> yeah, Excuse you know, me. I plan on... Sorry doing that with this so that you can actually talk to me and we can talk about the way it is for you because that's education for other people who have that unspoken understanding of what this is all like because it is not an easy thing to stop this. It is like opiates are killing people every single day, especially since fentanyl's come out. I mean, we are having record deaths and it's heartbreaking because it is so easily accessible and you know people that use know where they can get it and unfortunately if you don't have the tools life skill tools coping skills those type of things to be able to to go to when you feel the feelings that you feel Mm-hmm. then that continues the cycle of use. So basically what I'm going to be doing is educating things about coping skills. I'm going to be talking about the disease in full. I'm going to be talking about the co-occurring disorders and just uh, a lot of therapy type of things that I I really hope will be helpful. And again, if we can at some point talk one-on-one and uh, this could become a really beautiful thing. So I'm going to let you get to know me first. Um, You know, polychromatic, you have some uh, somewhat, but as a therapist, I want you to make that choice for yourself. If you feel like you have, I am someone that you can talk to, I want to be able to, to uh, make that uh, possible. And so um, Zach has already designed, and it's been in the works for a very long time. He did another beautiful job with designing a website. And um, it's Links Counseling is the name of the website. And just to give you a preview, and it's just so he puts his heart and soul. When he does anything, his heart, heart and soul is into it. But when he's got his passion about things, it's even more so, as as you will see at the Polychromatic website. Um, so anyway, that's up and running. There's still some things that need to be added to it, but uh, that is what you can look at, um, and it's going to be in the future. So something to look forward to. So moving forward, um, because again, we don't script this. I didn't know Zach was going to be transparent about his leg today. I'm, I'm really super proud of him, but it really caught me off guard. And generally, our brains really connect. And as you probably have noticed, we really bounce off each other very easily. But that one kind of took me by surprise. So sometimes we do have those surprises. But I think really, um, we want to keep this like this is, today we thought, what do we want to talk about? That's We sit down behind the mics and go, let's just talk. So basically, I would like to mention and even ask uh, Zach how he's been able to make it through. Like, what have you done? Because I think this is going to be valuable to some, some of our listeners. What positive things have you incorporated in your life through all the past trauma and the most recent loss of your leg? How have you dealt with this? And what has been 
what you have felt to be therapeutic, somewhat therapeutic or something that has kind of taken your mind off of it? Because I can only imagine that how do you get your mind off of not having a limb? It's there. It's right before you. So I'm just saying from my perspective, looking at you, what have you done for yourself to help yourself through this? You know, it's interesting that you ask this. Um, for me, I really have to rewind. Uh, let me think about this. I'd have to rewind close to 23 years to answer that. Um, in high school, I dealt with some really horrible depression, like really, really, really bad depression. Like the kind of depression where you look in the mirror and you hate yourself for absolutely no reason. <laughs> that so um, sucks. Sorry. It's I mean... also just a coming of age kind of thing. I think the brain is developing and it starts to question your parents and starts to question everything. Uh, the legit legitimacy of everything. It's when the brain is developing into its final form. It's printing back connections and it starts to question the world. And in the backdrop of all that, okay, 9-11's happening. And it's like the only thing on the news. <laughs> and I watched three weeks of that. Finally, to actually turn that off and never watch television again. How, may, I, may I just ask you, Zach, yeah. how old were you then? I'm trying to remember exactly um, how old you so would have been. So I would have been about 15 or 16. Okay. And for me, I remember something very clearly. And it wasn't purposeful at first. It was just something. So there was this um, Korean MMO game <laughs> back in the day that I got into playing. Um, it was something I came across in December of 2000. And um, I saw it, but it, it said it required like your address and your phone number. And it was in another country. And I'm thinking, do I trust this? You know, or is this like some sort of scam at, at first? But it looked like a really cool game. It had... Um, for anyone that watches anime or understands anime, it has like these chibi characters. That's the art form. Um, these ch cute chibi character uh, style characters um, that are 2D sprites on a 3D in a 3D environment. And they have all these classes, job classes. I chose the thief. And... <laughs> Why did you? I'm sorry. I just had to chuckle. Why did you choose the thief? Any special reason? It's really cool. The thief could do a double slash. You could steal from enemies. Um, you could hide. Yeah, you know, you can like, as long as you're up against a wall, you're invisible and you can go to places. Um, and then later on, they did a patch and um, the thief, and once you reach level 50, can become an assassin. And the assassins Ooh. have katars. I don't know if you know what katars are, but katars, they're actually real things from the Middle East. They're a weapon from the Middle East. They're basically blades for people's arms. So you have blade arms. Oh. Um, and you just like slice and dice and there's like uh. this... So anyways, it was a really fun game. Um, I'll tell you what it was called. It was, it was called Ragnarok Online. So what happened is completely by accident, I was horribly, horribly depressed, okay? I had a friend of mine in December, November, probably no, October and November of 2000 that came up to me. He said, you know, MMO, massive multiplayer online gaming is going to be the future. It's going to be the future. And so I know this is going off course, but I promise this is going somewhere. I'm, I'm almost done. So what happened is I <clears throat> took a jump over spring break of 2001. 
I spent my entire spring break inside. I was playing that game. I made a ton of friends on that game. Soon after, I then revisited, we were prototyping this MMO site. It was going to be called MM MMP Gaming. Um, and we had it up online. It never really uh, manifested fully. But then I told my friends about this game, and then they became completely addicted to it, too. And then pretty soon, the website, we, we actually, I said, I think we could keep the MMP Gaming is like the parent company or the parent organization for this other website. And uh, the website was called Ragnarok HQ. So I was the founder, co-founder and administrator of that site. Um, and it was a great opportunity because what ended up happening is several years later, um, when I was a senior in high school, there was an opportunity for a web design contest where out of 350, comp 350 competitors, I won first place. <laughs> so that was a very validating thing. And fortunately, come no, um, come uh, junior and senior year, my depression lifted because, why? Because of video games. Video so, games, computer games, literally saved my life through that depression. What coping skills did I learn? I used to be very neurotic. I used to be have photographic memory. I used to be kind of OCD. And what I learned to do with playing a game like that and just letting it com completely immerse myself was it allowed me to just completely let go of things for a little bit and decompress. And it taught me, and it sounds funny to say that I got my coping skills um, from it, but I even developed some skills, you know, with coding and stuff. I, I, I took C, I took basic C and C++ in high school. And then I started learning PHP, MySQL, JS, CSS, um, later on to jQuery. Um, and um, it's been a while. I'm very, very rusty. So I'm, there's no way at this point I feel like I could be hired as a junior web developer. But if I really um, practiced it, you know, I think maybe in six months, you know, really, really worked on my portfolio and really worked hard on some side projects, it's possible. My biggest issue of the reason why I would not be hireable and I'm just being honest as a programmer. And mind you, this is 100% vocational. I didn't go to school for programming. This is something I always did on the side. And I did work in tech uh, for a couple of years, um, working for a company that did um, web hosting locally in Boulder and did DSL. And so I knew how to program uh, VCI. Um, um, I can't remember what the other acronym is, but you basically program the DSL connections on a master router. So I learned some, I learned some valuable skills like command line and, and, you know, more for more of the full stack development, um, rather than just web design. You'll meet a lot of web designers that know absolutely no coding. They only know the user interface stuff and they'll make a WordPress site by taking a template and selling it for thousands of dollars. It's crazy that people do that, but then those individuals don't even know how to fix the website when it's down. They ask the host to figure this stuff out. So that's something I've been proud about is I actually immersed myself in a way that was much deeper. And the one last thing I want to say is I, what, what was the driver for wanting to learn programming? I wanted to be a video game designer from a young age. And there are two things that happened. One is my brother told me about view source on web browsers you could view the HTML source of any page. And so I slowly started to learn HTML as first. And then I was learning C, uh, basic C, C++, the basic 
uh, basic is a very good language to learn just to learn the basic operations of how programming works. Um, I'm almost done. Um, and then um, I was able to adapt that. Um, but I, going back to the reason why I would not be hireable, even though I know the basics of object-oriented programming, and I'm not going to go into too much detail what that means, but basically there are um, these things called methods, which are functions that are part of a thing called a class, and you have to restrict certain variables to certain functions. Um, either that function can only access that variable, or you can extend them classes to multiple classes and use a protected. So there are basically all these little rules that you do. And there are things also called constructors that you learn about. Anyways, I'm, I know I'm speaking French to everyone. The bottom line is, even though I know how to do that basically, I've never worked on a team to actually uh, implement that. Um, I think if I'm going to branch out, probably my safest bet would to be work on uh, UI, UX. Um, but it really comes down to whether or not someone would hire me, given the fact that I, I have the experience. I'm very rusty, but I have the experience and I'm very passionate once I'm able to figure out the branding of something. But it's something that's also uh, just rusty. I've spent, dedicated the past eight, nine years of my life to research. And I did a lot of automating of our Google Sheets and all of our samples. And I personally, Gina typed over 20,000 animals in um, you know, the five-year period I worked on the grant. So um, anyways, that's a bit about me. That's uh, To answer your question, though, what actually saved me, I think, was video games is kind of a form of healthy escape. I realized I could have been hanging out with the wrong crowd and using doing drugs. It could have been very easy for that to happen. But fortunately, at a young age, I was very scared of all that stuff. Um, I realized there was a possibility that that could overtake me. And there's a reason why I avoided it. I had, I had plenty of op opportunities to do it, you know, even offered. And, and I chose not to, and I'm glad that I didn't because I think developmentally you get in involved with that stuff. It's, it's really dangerous. So I developed some, what I think are generally speaking, okay coping mechanisms, probably not the best in the book, maybe not the healthiest because it avoids things sort of to not completely resolve them, but it was enough to keep me strong enough to, um, I don't know, just hold it together. Wow. There's a lot to decode uh, for me to decode and go back through, but just basically, I just wanted to say that um, what I heard you you speaking about, first off, yes, I do know that you had depression. We, we, we've spoken about this, nothing new to me. And, um, most of it, as I recall, was due to the fact that, um, you were extremely popular as a kid. I mean, you had, Oh God. Yeah. There was a transition that happened. You were like, um, booked out with friends for three weeks in advance. And all of a sudden when high school hit, everybody mm -hmm. kind of did their own thing and yeah. you lost that. And it was like trying to find your place is I'm looking at it from my perspective. I came home just crying and I would just cry and cry and cry my freshman year of high school. I, I cried so much that I just, then after a couple months, I just went numb. So basically, um, moving forward, that is what, uh, with what I saying, basically that's what happened is that was just very traumatic for you to go through that because you, that was something that was a big part of your life. I was a leader. You, and you, yes. So what you mentioned about that was really um, kind of amazing though, because you were talking about how you got involved in video games. And what I see from that is that that was like a great distraction from you. So you wouldn't have to. So see, 
it's important to incorporate those type of things in our lives that are th- therapeutic. Yeah, you were saying maybe video games weren't the best, but I also heard you say that you made friends online. Mm-hmm. So again, think about this. What do we talk about in our podcast is connection. You had lost a connection with people that you'd known for many years once entering high school. That broke you because you felt mm-hmm. alone because that was a big part of your life. What did you do? You went out, you started using video games to help distract you. And in that time, you made some outside friends, more connections. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm putting this together. Okay. More what opportunities with creating. I created a whole website that at one point had 500 people on it. Okay. At a time. So then it made you more creative. Mm-hmm. So you in that also took that time to, because you are a very creative individual, to use that time <clears throat> to be creative. So this was a growth period for you. It may at the time felt like hell, which I'm sure it did. But looking back and you telling the story makes me think that, God, you really grew. Like you grew in such a way of figuring out who you were and what your capabilities were. And then to top that off, which I'll never forget, best website competition in Colorado. That was the big deal. Like when you think about it, that was all the high schools in Colorado competing, competing, and you got best website, and that was not built huh. from a preformed type yeah. of. It was from scratch application. It was from coding it yourself. So that says a lot, right there, with your talent and your creativity, and. Really quite beautiful how you were talking about, like, I could have, I could have numbed myself out. I could have done this. I could have done that. When you compare what you ended up doing to what you could have done, that was really healthy in many ways. And you grew, you learned a lot through that time. You just, you pursued a lot because you used that time in a really effective way to grow. And at the time, you may not have thought of it as growth because sometimes, see, we don't. Sometimes we don't see those times until we look back. Mm-hmm. I always talk about the silver lining just because I think that most of the time there is a silver lining to most everything. And presently with what we're going through, I'm guessing there must be some type of silver lining to this. But moreover, I really have to say that I'm so glad you didn't get involved in drugs and I'm so glad you, you kept moving forward. And that also, I think means a lot for what happened to you most recently with your amputation is that you are that person that just goes forward and you just do not give up. And there's something to be said about that because in time, when does it reach a point when you feel like giving up, right? So, no, I know that you've always really loved those things, but I also know you're really creative. You're a creative writer. I mean, I've read some of the things that you've written. Um, Your web design, as I was mentioning earlier, is top-notch. I mean, honestly, this guy can get on there. And it's not just what I love about it is the fonts you use, the colors you use, the creativity of the whole website, how that website 
goes together is so amazing. It's, it's well thought out. It's not just throwing together. You put a lot of heart and soul in it. So I think that um, it can be, you can see it. You can look up polychromatic. I think um, he worked really hard on that one and put his heart and soul in it. And um, links counseling as well. Um, also another website um, that we're not going to talk about tonight, but, or today, um, but later on is a really beautiful website he created. So I've watched his work and very talented, absolutely. Programming, you know, I think Zach tends to be really uh, critical, as I do. We're both very critical of ourselves and our expectations are very high, both of us being professionistic people. Our expectations tend to be higher for ourselves. And But I just have to say what I've seen you do has blown my socks off. Okay. It's just, it's, it's, it's crazy amazing. And I'm extremely proud of you. So I'm glad you found that. Thanks. You know, and you continue. Um, so I just wanted to say that, uh, for myself, um, how I've made it through my life in general, in many ways, um, with where I've devoted a lot of my time is with horses. And from a very young age, I don't know where it came from. Uh, I was about age five, and I just remember just loving horses and wanting a horse of my own and um, insisting my mom take me to the stables weekly so I could ride. There was a little stable called Sombrero Ranch off of 28th Street in Boulder. <laughs> and I went there every week and rode. And my dream was to buy my own horse. So like what I started doing is like nine, 10 years old babysitting. I got myself a paper out at age 10. And I felt kind of like a little embarrassed, I'm going to say, because back then girls didn't deliver papers. But I was really wanting this. And I'm going, okay, you know, I'll do whatever I've got to do. So I delivered papers. And I was the greatest babysitter because the kids loved me because I played with them. I love kids, but I also played with them. We did all kinds of things like leaving the, uh, we'd be popping popcorn. It wasn't harmful things, but we, just to make them laugh, like we'd be popping popcorn and I'd take the lid off in the middle and to pop all over the place. And the kids adored me and they like begged for me to come back. So I had a lot of babysitting jobs. I would save my money in a shoebox. It's kind of crazy. Didn't put it in the bank, every penny I saved. So by the time I was 13 years old, I bought my first horse, um, which was one of the most happiest days and most rememberable, remembered and memorable day of, <laughs> remembered and memoried as one of the main days in my whole life. And I will never forget that day. It was like, I, I don't even know what to compare it to. It, it was like what I needed for me. And um, that helped me throughout my teenage years. I supported it. I can, my, my horse throughout those years. And today I'm still, um, recently, what has it been now? About six years ago, I purchased the horse I have today. He was just a baby. He's beautiful. His name's Cobain. And um, he has helped me through this, this health crisis with Zach. And um, there's nothing like going out there. And for those of you that know about horses, 
There's a spirituality about them that's unlike any other animal. Um, they use them for equine assisted therapy. I may have brought that up in another podcast, but he knows my brain. We connect on such a deep level that uh, we're doing liberty work now, which is actually where uh, it looks like a dance, but we move together. Um, I'll be cueing, but I really won't be cueing. He'll be knowing where my brain is at that time. And I think I spoke about that a little bit yesterday's podcast. But going to the stables, just being in that environment and being around him would check me out of where I presently was with watching this and the intense emotional aspect and the frustrations, the giant, incredible frustrations I had toward these doctors who I'm very disappointed in and more overly disappointed in is there's a lot of things that went on that shouldn't have because um, I truly believe that Zach may have his leg today if these things didn't occur uh, but overall, that has been my outlet throughout my whole life is really um, that connection with horses. And so, you know, there are things that we can do, which is important in our lives, even when we go through hard times, to have something that we can focus on that is therapeutic to us because that checks us out. It's okay to check out in that way. It's okay to get our mind off things because that can help us. That can be a coping skill to help us get through whatever we need to get through. And um, that's just part of what can help us when we're in a crisis or when we're going through difficult times. So um, yeah, that's what I pretty much have done when Things are difficult for me, and uh, I think that everyone will have their own interest and can pursue whatever that might be if you just allow yourself to. I think that's what's important is to reach out and just say, wait, you know, I need to get my mind off this. What can I do? Yep. You know, we all develop our own coping mechanisms for things, and I feel like at large we're told that there's a right or a wrong way to cope with things. And generally speaking, there are some themes that that's true. You know, there's some things that are more productive, more creative than destructive. I feel like anytime that we are facing adversity, we are either forced towards creation or destruction. Mm, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a great, great analogy to bring into the podcast because where is our mind at that time? It's like, do we have that willingness to move forward, that willfulness, I should say, that willfulness to move forward? Or is it too much where we're just going to crash? Yeah. Because really, we know this, you guys, and we know a lot of you out there have experienced this. And I mean, I cannot say that any more than verbally, any more than I'm saying that to you is we got this. This is... Today is about Elaine and Zach, okay? There's a lot of stuff with what we've talked about uh, that's been quite personal today, but you're going to be finding out more And as we continue with our podcasts. And in doing so, it's that transparency that we've spoken about that um, sometimes is a bit uncomfortable, especially to people that don't know you. But in the fact, it's our life. It's what's happened to it's us. It's real. Are we victims? No. 
Zach and I have never been victims throughout our whole lives. We look at ourselves as survivors. And see, it's the way that when you say that, Zach, I think it's also the way you frame it in your mind. Am I going to be a survivor? Am I going to be a victim? Now, it's, hey, there, there are victims out there. There are victims that people that are raped are a victim. I'm not saying that you're not a victim, but you can turn that around in a positive sense and think of it as a survivor and build on that. Because if we stay in the victim role, what happens? Uh, I think that... We get stuck. That's it, getting stuck. And it's sometimes it takes everything that, that we have, but to move forward. So, um, you know, I know you still love video games and you really enjoy them. And I know that that still is a big part of your life, just like horses are a part of my life. And, you know, I'm really glad at that age, Zach, when you were in your adolescent years, you know, you maybe didn't have that tool of knowing what to do, but you figured it out. And yeah. that's, that's, that's actually pretty mature. Well, thanks. You know, I feel, <laughs> and I've been told, that I am an old spirit. Ah, you're a very so old, wise soul. I can actually, and it sounds weird to say this, okay? But I promise you it's actually more enticing than it seems like. Um, I can hold conversation with people in their 70s or 80s perfectly fine. Oh, you, and, you have a lot of friends that age. And the reason why is because they know, they feel that I'm an old soul. Mm -hmm. Like, why am I an old soul? It's real simple. When you go through enough stuff in your life, it's just like when you have kids, why you get white hairs. <laughs> yeah. You know, That's... it ages you. It, and it ages you in a way that is proportional to the experience. So what can I say is like, for a kid that loses a parent at the age of before the age of 10. What does that do to that kid? By the time they're 17, they're more like 30. And I think that phenomenon goes on a lot. There are some people that don't know how to cope with it. And for those individuals, they might get stuck going down a path that they kind of regretfully went down and they don't know how to get out. But, but for certain people, it can be a catalyst in their life to um, motivate them to do things like Truly, did I really wake up one day and say, I'm going to go back to school, study pre-med, and I'm going to get involved in a lab? Well, that was one possibility, but I also thought maybe equally I'd end up in med school or a physician assistant or a physical therapist or something like that, get my doctorate in physical therapy. Um, but it was one of the options that I said. And what's even more freaky about it is I did do a blog a long time back. It was a video blog just for myself. And I stumbled upon it years later. And I said, if I could only earn $16,000 part-time to get my foot in the door at a lap. You want to hear the weird part? That's exactly what fucking happened. I manifested. I manifested down to the actual exact amount. And what was weird about it I got to tell you, because the, the starting pay and research at CU Boulder is $32,000. And if you're part-time, 50% is $16,000 salary. Um, it's so weird about how specific it is. I think in life, we 
do the steering. And fate and God and a higher power is responsible for the timing. And in our terms, things don't always happen in the time frame we like. So for instance, right with where I'm at right now, I feel very stuck. I feel like this is a repeat of when I had cancer, kind of. You know, it's like, when am I going to get back to normal? And the reality is every time I put on my leg and I take off my leg, and the sooner that I can get to the point of full weight bearing and balance and doing all of the cycles correctly so I don't cause back pain and I don't cause all these issues, the sooner it's going to become more normal. And thank God neuroplasticity in our brain exists because otherwise this would be just a hopeless, wasteful time of a situation to try to even try this experiment. It's amazing that I have a bionic leg, literally a $60,000 leg sitting in the room there that I can strap on and eventually with time actually be pretty normal. And I think that's a fucking miracle and I'm glad to be alive at the time I'm alive with technology. It also equally scares me though with technology because of artificial intelligence and how we're, we're, we're playing God. I mean, let me be honest. When I worked in genetics, we work with recombinant DNA. Recombinant DNA can also be artificial, what are called DNA oligos, that you can actually literally send a sequence to a company and they'll print for you. And I'm exposed to those oligos when I'm working, right? It, it's likely not going to do anything to my DNA, um, but the reality is there are certain risks to it. Um, just like there were risks with when I was doing the genotyping, uh, thidium bromide. Thidium bromide is a no, known mutagen. And so I wear gloves. I, you know, take special precaution. I mean, I was the lab manager responsible for our chemical inventory, responsible for um, uh, what are called, um, oh God, what are they called? <laughs> it's been too long. Um, what they are is they're the data sheets for each chemical, where, you know, you're responsible for making sure that you have documentation in the lab for every chemical that people work with so they understand the exposure hazards, et cetera. One of those exposure ha hazards beyond the dangers of ethidium bromide, which is really only if it gets in your eye or an open wound, it uh, is a known mutagen, which means it cross-links DNA, which is great if you're wanting to um, have it illuminate um, under ultraviolet light, so you can take a picture of your bands if you're doing a, what's called gel electrophoresis. But also the other major hazard was nicotine. 100% um, lev levatory, um, uh, so L-nicotine, lev levatory nicotine, 99%. Uh, uh, we get it from Sigma, Sigma Aldrich, or um, it's a Fisher Scientific brand um, organics company. And if you get that raw stuff on your hand, you can have a seizure. So you have to wear gloves, you have to take precautions. And then the final um, thing that I was exposed to was also radiation. Uh, we worked with um, uh, mostly alpha and beta emitters, but we also are dealing with um, rubidium, which is a gamma emitter, and uh, with half-lives of hundreds of years, if not thousands. So pretty scary stuff. Um, you know, you have lead bricks and stuff and you do it in a separate locked room and, and all that stuff. So kind of exciting, but, um, I just wanted to say real quick, the reason why I loved lab as much as I did is it allowed me to reconnect with my old self, with the natural leader that I lost when I was in high school and I didn't lose it. It's just my friend's didn't just go the other way. They were actually, a lot of them were actually very cruel to me, and I don't know why. Um, 
and it really hurt me. And, um, you know, I went from being an extreme extrovert to an extreme introvert. And then now I think I'm more of an extrovert again, but, um, it really wanted to cultivate a very cooperative, helpful environment. And I remember getting a text from Logan at lab when I wasn't there saying, it has been absolute chaos without you here. Mm-hmm. There's you bring order and peace to this space, and my other lab member, sadly, made him feel like he was an intruder in his own lab because we were sharing space with another lab. It's their space, and he said every time he came across her, he felt like he was an intruder in his own lab. So that should give you an idea of what. I brought to the table, and this is just objective truth. I'm just telling you the way it is. It's not about me getting back at this person. I'm not even going to say her name, but um, she was our postdoc, and um, I really don't want to be in um, conflict with her. I think it'd be great when I have the energy and the willpower um, to, um, you know, as I'm getting better here, uh, to spend some time volunteering in the lab just to to test the waters, you know? And I really do miss it. I really do miss it, and I feel very lost uh, given the fact there's not another grant and that really can't go back there. And I also spoke with my boss and he really wants to retire and it's probably inevitably going to happen in the next couple of years. So um, I need to be planning ahead for that. I can't really invest all my time here for him to retire and then, you know, be lost. Well, you know, um, I think it's amazing how in your adolescent years, really, I think a lot of that was finding who you are at that time. And I, as we've talked about that before, is being able to stand strongly on our own two feet and feeling stuck. I mean, um, Zach and I have experienced a lot of that being stuck in stasis of waiting and waiting and waiting. And one of the examples is waiting to see if he was going to actually lose his leg, which... Oh, God, it was like we were literally standing on the edge of a cliff for how many months? I would say overall a couple years, but really for a good, I would say probably 10 months. And when Zach came home one day and said, Mom, this could result in amputation, that was the furthest thing from my mind. I couldn't even comprehend that. And I was saying, no, it's not going to go there. There's no way because, you know, I didn't want to even think of what that would be like because it was so far from my mind um, because it was such a terrifying thought. And, you know, there is that stuckness that Zach's talking about. And what I hear you saying, Zach, is stuck with being able to walk again, stuck with not being employed, stuck with what is my future. I have to say that uh, my faith in God has always been there. I don't want to push that aside um, because that has been with me forever. Even though walking through these times, sometimes I have felt like, hey, I'm still here. Have you forgotten about me? Because Mm -hmm. um, what happened with your leg pushed me to an extreme of like really thinking, is God with me right now? Um, yeah, I knew he was, but in my own mental state of walking through that, 
I didn't know if I would be able to come out the other end of that okay, because I didn't know if I was going to be able to literally be okay. And so mm-hmm. that stasis, I think we're kind of both in because as we sp- st- talked about earlier, you know, it's like relearning who you are. And we've had, we've rehearsed this one so many times in our life. And really, this podcast is something we've never done. That is part of what we're doing to learn more about ourselves. We decided to do a podcast today. Who's Zach and Elaine, and that was meant to so that you guys could get to know us better. I didn't know you were going to know us this good yet, but there was. I'm really proud of Zach that he shared this with you because he was ready to. It was it was something that I respect and would never have said anything about till he was ready. It was his place, and I think that when he mentioned earlier how we were separated for 12 years to learn about who we were then, we're learning that now, but we also have are a really good respect for one another where, yeah, I mean, we're there for each other and we protect each other and we love each other till eternally. But we also, that deep respect for one another is, and we know sometimes that one of us may be having kind of a sad day or in our own space and we don't intrude that. We just let each other be um, because there could be that real codependency of like, I need to fix this. I need to make this person better. And we know, we understand, with understand that to respect someone is to let them walk through it. Yes, support them any way we can, but we all have to walk a walk in our own journey to make it through things. So I'm trying to recover as best I can and moving on with doing some of the things that I want to do. Because during this time, I've really had to be present there with you, with the doctors and all the, pardon me, but bullshit, bullshit that was going on that should have never, ever taken place uh, in the medical field and becoming outraged and really losing my respect for someone who I thought was the most, one of the most amazing people I ever met which was one of the biggest disappointments in my life when I found out this person was not who I thought she was uh, when Zach originally had cancer when he's 19. That was extremely hard because I realized that there were things that were going on behind the scenes that were not okay. And when people don't do things in front or they don't tell you what's going on or they don't give it their all, instead they're worried about their licenses because of another person that they're working with, I can't respect someone who di- who puts my son last on the list to protect her license. Um, that's very upsetting to me. But I'm I'm focusing on how I can move forward, and I do have some ways that I can because Zach is now moving forward as well. But when we were in that along that journey of having to deal with this, like literally on a daily basis, it was from one appointment to another day or to another surgery and just not knowing, like just really being on the edge of not knowing how this whole thing, where this whole thing was going. And one of the most frustrating things to me is watching you for three weeks with tubes coming out of your legs from a prior surgery and having to call this doctor's office to report how much fluid was coming out of your leg when I knew there was something worse going on and you actually brought that up 
to your infectious disease doctor who denied it and then come to find out you're absolutely right. I think it was that point in time they both knew both the the uh, infectious di- disease doctor and your limb specialist knew you were going to lose your leg and you went through more surgeries after that. Very heartbreaking to me, but, you know, it's disappointing, Zach, and I don't know how you feel about this. This has happened to me in my life more than once. Where I've truly believed in someone so much that I think I kind of put them up on a pedestal and really believe in them to such an extent that when I'm let down, that disappointment, it just overwhelms me. And so another lesson for myself to realize that, you know, we're all human beings and I get that, but I also think that people that I want in my life are people that are that genuine and caring and whether it's a doctor or because doctors are very, there's an intimate relationship you have with the doctor. You're trusting them with your life, with your, Mm -hmm. with your body. I mean, for God's sakes, I mean, you're giving them permission to do what they think is right. And they're not revealing to you what's actually going on. Trying to keep the patient in the dark. And the problem is, you know, the reason why they hated me so much. And I think hate's the right word is because all along the way, I was scrutinizing what they were doing. And they hated it because I told them in early December, I said, something's seriously wrong with my leg. I think there's an infection. And they're like, and my surgeon said, I really don't know. Talk to your infectious disease doctor. So what do we do? We walk into her office, you and I. Don't even have an appointment after that appointment with uh, my leg surgeon. And we go into the room. I tell her, uh, can I unwrap it to show you? Can I show you a picture? No. I'm telling you what's happening with my leg. I'm going through five boxes of gauze a day for all this drainage. I can literally stand up, unwrap it, and put a towel down on my feet, and there'll just be a river of fluid coming out of my leg. I'm telling you, this is not normal. They ignored, 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 ignored. She told me, basically, I was a hypochondriac. She said, it's impossible to have another infection. And lo and behold, about... 10 days later, I have surgery. And then a week later, during the crisis in Louisville, the Marshall Mesa fires that day, with all that traffic and everything, there's, she says, hey, kiddo, I know this sucks, but you've got E. coli. We need to switch you on immediately, switch you to a different antibiotic. I need you to come down to Denver today so we can trial a new antibiotic that will treat both infections. So I have this infection raging in my leg. And if you do research in this matter for what's called polymicrobial for prosthetic joint infections or PJIs, you will find if you have an infection that becomes polymicrobial, your chances go from carrying it from anywhere from the low end of 35 to 45% cure rate to the higher of 70 80%. It makes it go down to single digit if you're going to become polymicrobial. And at that time, they did, they did flirt with the idea of telling me that this is serious enough that I might have to have my leg amputated. But they just inserted that seed in my head. They didn't say what the actual chances were, even though they knew that pretty much doing all these extra surgeries was just going to put me through unnecessary harm. Because why? Because they chose to decide that they don't like me. <laughs> Um, even though I've just been only a transparent person. You're, the person I'm, that's talking to you right now is the same person that would have talked to them and told them 
my belief that my leg was infected and it was it was it went ignored and so now we might have to go down the path of seeking counsel to see how it can be pursued because my life is forever changed and i think it was avoidable i really do well you know i've never ever in my life known of an infectious disease doctor and i was at zach's appointment with him and he said, would you like to take a look at my leg? She goes, no. Then he even pulled out his iPhone and said, I've got pictures. Would you look at it this way? She refused to look at it. And I'm thinking, this is really strange. Like, how does an infectious disease doctor diagnose something if they don't see it? And she was so in her mind. And then the phone call, the nonchalant phone call, like, oh, this really sucks. Are you kidding me? Where's this, the apology? Where's the apology for not listening to me? Oh, that's right. If she were to say that, that'd admit guilt. And so she's not going to do that. Absolutely. So anyway. It was a whole clusterfuck. They, my doctor didn't even allow me. She gaslit me into saying that I could not have a different infectious disease doctor. Mm-hmm. And it took, really, the only reason why I'm here and alive, I lost 25 pounds in that month, those two months. By the time I finally got a new infectious disease doctor, which of course she hated, that I got someone else involved. Why did she hate that, Zach? Why do you think that she didn't want that? Because if this ever came to litigation, there'd be a witness to say, objectively, because they have to protect their license, what they actually think of this situation. Because they have to be objective. And she almost didn't... (coughs) Their... Their... Um, practice almost didn't even take me. It took some begging on the phone saying that, no, we're not, we're not seeking legal stuff. Um, I just need help with And this. you're talking about the new infectious disease the new, doctor. Yes, the new yeah. infectious disease doctor. And so, she doubled my dose. Bless I was her on, heart. I'm so glad she came on board. And I will be forever thankful to her because, you know, like Zach said, she could have very easily said, I'm not getting involved with this. Because you know what? Let's face it. I remember the day when there used to be doctors that came to your house that really cared. And I guess maybe I'm back in that time, but I have talked to so many people. And I mean, just past people, my coworkers, uh, people I know that have had such bad interactions and results from doctors these days, because Mm -hmm. what happened to the number one ethical responsibility of a doctor is do no harm. There is a printout several pages long called Patients' Rights that I highlighted. Um, I, I can't even name all the patients' rights that were were not followed. And one of the major ones Zach brought up right now is that she would keep telling him who his infectious disease doctor was, and um, he already had another one. And then that old infectious disease doctor was the one who prescribed the medication. It's like, come on, we are working with someone new. So no, it's, it was like, you want to talk about a nightmare from hell. And that's the way that Zach and I have probably described it to be the most, um, I guess the way to describe what we went through in the most descriptive way would to say, be to say a nightmare from hell because, honest to God, we were beside ourselves. And I mean, I even at the point during this whole time was thinking, 
I was looking for another limb specialist and I couldn't find one. And I thought, we thought we were going to have to go to another state and we're going, but what does that mean? And that was all too complicated. And asking Zach, I actually, Zach, do you remember the day I asked you, Zach, I don't know what to do. Should we hire an attorney to help us? Because we've got to get someone to help you. This is how alone we felt because there was nothing being done and no human being should ever have to go through that. And I'm sure there are people out there right now going, oh my God, if I could just tell you my story, because I've heard people and not that we're on the subject of it, but just, you know, and you'd be talking about something and all of a sudden that comes up and they'll go, oh God, the doctors today. And I'm not saying there's not some good doctors out there. But I do remember when doctors took that oath of really caring and um, thinking of that patient's life as their life. And just one more thing about this that has not been mentioned that I think is really extremely important. Do you guys know that I could have lost Zach through this very easily because that infection was pouring through his body? His leg was dying. His leg, you look at his leg, it looked like it was almost dead. I had gone through was like 24 or 28 solid weeks of IV antibiotics. Um, I was on three different antibiotics, and then I had that third different antibiotic raised, doubled by the new infectious disease doctor. Um, we also pursued um, what's called um, bacteriophage therapy um, to try to see if that was a possibility, if it could be treated that way. Unfortunately, it really wasn't. And at that point, m- my leg was getting worse. My lymph nodes were constantly swollen in my groin area. And um, additionally, I had a tube in my leg for, let's count it out. I had a tube from the 22nd of December until I think it was like maybe two or three weeks into February. And so you're talking about um, 2021 into 2022. Mm, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. And then um, <clears throat> by the time I actually had my, <laughs> so then what happened is we get to June and my legs reinfected while on antibiotics. And so I go to the emergency room and what happens? I then have another surgery. There's another tube in my leg and that tube remains in my leg until I have my leg amputated. So the entirety of the leg with the tube was amputated together. And what's most bothersome about this is it, it started going into his bone. And so then when we finally... Yeah, it's, called, it's called osteomyelitis when it affects the bone. When we finally found... And it's incurable, by the way. The only thing you can do is cut away osteomyelitis. You can, never, you can never fully cure it. We finally found a skilled surgeon who insisted upon taking the case. And this man, I will be grateful for forever because, you know, you talk about the legalities. He cared enough to say... He asked us, may I please take this case over? And he even he, said, I'll contact your old doctor and arrange the, 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 the uh, transfer of care. So thanks to him, and I'm not going to name names because I don't think it's, it's respectful to him, but I will say, you know, um, he actually salvaged Zach's limb to be as long as it is to make it so that he could walk more easily with the prosthetic. And... I really want to, um, as of yet, um, with everything going on and my state of mind and what we've been going through and trying to get our lives back together, have not had an opportunity, but that man will have 
at least a wonderful letter, if not a wonderful um, phone call from me, uh, because I'm totally grateful. Um, we really felt as though um, at that one point when I talked to you about being terrified, I realized that Zach's leg had to go or he was going to die. And that's what it was really up against. And God forbid, he's all I have left. So bearing that in mind, um, it was very significant to me. And when people say they're terrified, I really have to say I know that feeling. And to feel that way is like a hellish feeling because... It is, you have no control. There's nothing that you can do. And I was fighting with time, trying to get some bacteriophage together with a doctor in San Diego who was amazing. Um, actually, um, the bacteriophage has saved a man um, that, they, that was actually dying. Um, and he saved his life. And um, so those people reached out and they helped us. And actually the wife of the man who was almost dying reached out too because you know why she did? Because she knew what this was like, okay? That's my whole point. I think I, want, I, I just want to say for you, those of you listening that can relate to this, it must feel really reassuring to know there are people out there that are talking about this stuff that a lot of people don't talk about. Because unless you've walked the walk of being in this case with a doctor who has done something so horrific to you, you're not going to be able to perceive what this is like, okay? It's like you're alone and you, you don't know how this is going to turn out. But moreover, you don't trust the care of the person that's still taking care of, in my case, my son's health. I don't believe in her. Like I'm cringing every time she takes him back for surgery because I'm scared. And Zach told me, mom, I was nice to her because I was afraid something bad might happen in surgery. Okay. There's the trust issues broken by that point. When you don't even trust that person enough to go into surgery with them, that says a lot. And so people out there, this should shed some, some light to you that this is something that is not rare. And I can say that because I've spoken to a lot of people. And I think the key is to make sure your health provider, you demand, there is a thing called patient's rights. You can look it up on the, on the internet. And you got to advocate it. for yourself too. You have to advocate. You guys, you have to advocate and you have to put your foot down and you have to say, this is below care of what you are, you are required to do. That you, in fact, have committed your life to giving and taking care. Do no harm. And you are harming this per. You are harming me or you're harming someone I love. And, you know, it's a horrible thing to feel that powerless at that time and... You know, yes, we're on the other end, so to speak, but there's a lot of rehabilitation. There's a lot of things that have to take place. Um, and Zach was talking about feeling stuck. This has changed him for the rest of his life. Is there good that's going to come out of this? Well, I kind of think this podcast is a good thing because it has 
given Zach and I a voice, a voice of honesty, a voice of talking to some of you out there who maybe have experienced similar things, that you're not alone. And um, be your own advocate, fight, stand up and fight. And it's hard when you're down, like when you're in the, the crisis of a health situation, it's hard to stand up and say, I'm going to stand up and fight because you're already so weak, maybe in a weakened state from everything you've been through with, you know, medically and your body is just so tired. But you know what? I am eternally grateful to God that I still have Zach because he knew that I probably may not have made it. My broken heart would have happened. I truly believe it would have because um, I don't think I could have really made it through one more hit um, of loss. And so I do believe there is a silver lining. Um, I believe that we all experience things in our life that take us to greater things. And I don't like to say that because I don't necessarily think that you have to go to this extent of loss or you have to go through this this extreme heartbreak in order to come out the other end okay. But um, I do believe that there is something really wonderful that is going to come into Zach's future. And being as talented as you are, Zach, in so many areas of your life, in your ability, your adaptability of whatever it is you need to adapt to, you've got a gift there, buddy. You've got a gift that some people don't have and your resiliency and your willingness and your determination, all those things make you who Zach is. And as I said earlier, that makes you my hero because I've learned some of the things from you by watching you and thinking, oh my God, how's he going to do this? And yeah, times have been hard, but you, here you are. And with that prosthetic man, I, today we went to church this morning and when we came home, I said to him, I said, Zach, man, you are sporting that leg. Like you weren't using your crutches for a good part of walking today. He just got his prosthetic when? The first part of January, Zach? Like right after, like. Yeah, it was, uh, I actually got the, so my final surgery was on October 3rd to remove the antibiotic rod that they placed during the second surgery. And then the first surgery, they put one. So they, they put in one from August 18th when I had what was called a guillotine amputation where they left the wound open with the wound vac to four days later when they went in and did what was called formalization, which is the closing of, this, of the wound, but also had what was called a targeted muscle reinnervation or TMR. And the reason why I had that is I had a plastic surgeon perform TMR because of the level of pain that I had been dealing with for such a long period of time. Um, they were especially concerned about. And I think it was the right move. When I had my massage the other day, um, it actually kind of kind of caused more phantom pain because it's it was massaging the nerves. Um, I was noticing yesterday, I was actually having a lot of, a lot of pain after that massage. Um, so I just need to be careful with that. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's completely different. I can't really best describe it. I can just tell you that if you've ever went skiing before, and during a really cold time, you know how your foot goes numb? Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. It feels like, in some ways, uh, not always, but when I'm having phantom sensations and phantom pain, I can actually feel my foot. It feels cold. It feels numb. And um, sometimes there's shooting pains. 
um, and other things going on. But um, generally speaking, uh, you know, things are slowly improving. I think the thing I'm the most concerned about is just building up the endurance necessary to go back to work. So I just hope that disability doesn't push me out of it too soon. I'm hoping that they'll be patient and at least give me until, you know, the latest probably May or June. It just depends. I, I realize that this is going to be, as I've been told by my physiatrist and my physical therapist, expect your recovery to take about two years. Two years from the time that you, you get your prosthesis. So I got my prosthesis. So October 3rd was my final surgery. On January 3rd was when I actually got my prosthesis. And it was a month later until I started physical therapy. So now I'm into my third week of physical therapy. Um, I'm able to be up. I'm able to walk on it. But the problem is I can't fully weight bear on it yet um, all the time. I can do some walking um, and balance on it on my own. But it's extremely fatiguing to do the exercises correctly. I don't have the endurance there to do them correctly for very long. Uh, to give you an idea, walking about 30 feet, doing everything the way I'm supposed to, will exhaust me, and I'll have to sit down. Um, same thing with standing. Standing requires a constant amount of input energy. Otherwise, the knee will give out because you have to maintain good um, posture in order to have the um, prosthesis stay locked. So there are all these different kinds of things. But generally speaking, one thing that I've been especially surprised about, if I'm being 100% honest. You this, wouldn't be any other way. Thank you. This prosthesis, this microprocessor knee and ankle combination, which is it's called the Lynx. Um, it's by Blatchford. It's a, it's a European company. They won an, a, an engineering award couple years back for this design. It's, it's one of a kind. But it, it uses uh, artificial intelligence to determine the algorithms to know how to operate the knee in certain, under certain conditions. Using the, It's got an array of sensors on it. It's got three, year, three days of battery life. And the general principle is it resists change. So if you're in a standing and you're weight-bearing on it, it wants to stay locked. But if you don't maintain good posture, it will be pushing more horizontally on the knee and eventually over the course of 20 seconds it'll give out because it thinks that it's stuck um same thing when the swing phase if during the swing phase um the foot doesn't clear the ground it will go stiff because it's better to go stiff than to go but in the extreme cases if the angle is sharp enough it'll actually want to bend because it knows you have to commit to the fall so it's very very complicated um but i think what I've noticed is sometimes there are small periods of time where I put it on and I walk on it and I think to myself, this feels pretty normal um, with, you know, minus the pain and the discomfort and all that. Like I, I can actually see down the road how this could just fall into the background. Now, the thing that scares me about it, of course, and it's something I've had to kind of just be used to is that I'm going to have to have health care for the entire rest of my life. It's There's no way around it, which is, means I'm going to have to be working, which is okay. But um, the thing that overwhelms me the most right now is just I'm in a transition phase where, don't get me wrong, I would love to go back to work. I don't, not happy spending all this time sitting around. I'm really trying to relish at the end here because I realize I can sleep and stuff. This is like a lost opportunity, but I don't completely enjoy it. But for me, I'm not the same person I was when I was a kid. This would be a dream for me to just sit around and 
be on disability. But um, for me, I, I really do want to get back um, to something purpose purposeful. Um, I just also know that it's going to be a challenge to transition into it, and it's going to take rest and patience and the right employer to understand that I've got limits. Well, you know what? And Zach? still value me and not treat me like a number, you know? It's going to be really, really, and I've, I've, uh, this part I've enjoyed just to see. Oh, the kindness how, of people? The, yeah, the kindness of people. There are people that have actually stopped and helped Zach. Um, and we talk about the world being self centered. Um, there are people that just see him uh, without missing a limb and they'll stop and they'll help. And so I, I have to say, I've enjoyed watching that um, just because it, it gives me that spark that of people still caring um, and connecting. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is just to watch you grow with this, your prosthetic. It's been is is really kind of a magical thing to watch and and to keep. It is like magic. It really is like magic. And to keep our listeners involved in how you're transitioning, because you're going to be walking this journey with us. I mean. You know, eventually, um, when Zach is up walking, I expect him, which he could never, he has, hasn't done since before he had his cancer. He couldn't do much. He he wasn't, he couldn't run, um, which will be pretty cool if you decide to pursue that, whatever. But, you know, we've, we've, we've also seen some really amazing stories of people who've climbed mountains, who who run in marathons with these prosthetics and all of that is just very encouraging because I know if anyone is going to get the best they can out of it, it's going to be Zach. And so hopefully Zach, I'm thinking there may be some wonderful things that you get from having this prosthetic that maybe you didn't have. Yeah. It, it, this is going to change my life in ways that I don't understand. I was just going to say it was very touching for Jeremy and Cameron to become involved <laughs> um, when I was at the hospital to come see me to offer, you know, help getting home, grocery shopping. I love I took you care guys, of the groceries, man. you know, and it's very unexpected. And the reason why I say that is I think it's important that we state this. It's not that we have enjoyed being isolated from the family. Like, it's not like we jump up and down and say, yay, we're doing our own thing. The reality is the, the economy, if I could call it anything, with the family is an economy of guilt, an economy of shame, an economy of constant judgment with their beliefs and their religion, and constant judgment. Oh, are you going to church? All these different kinds of things. And <clears throat> excuse me, you know what? If you guys were less judgmental, and you let us be ourselves, we would love to be part of the family. We'd love to have family. We'd love to have family help us out with everything that had happened. But the re simple reality is, it was more damaged than it was good. Except for Jeremy. We've always felt connected to Jeremy um, because, you know what? He's the w one person, maybe, I don't know, I think Natalie to a degree, maybe, but the one person that's willing to come out of his shell and be real with us and you know be involved and it's 
it sucks to say that, you know, if the family ever hears this, it's not that we hate you guys. We don't. It's just that you need to understand that there's a lot of things that happened that really alienated. It made my mom feel alienated. And we had to kind of go do our own thing. And I don't think it matters if we go to church or not. But to answer your question, we do go to church. I'm sure the church we go to, you guys would be rolling your heads with the message. You guys might not appreciate the message, but it's inclusivist. It's fair. It's equitable. And I believe it's the true manifestation of Jesus. I'm not trying to turn this into a religious podcast, but I'm just speaking on the topic of comparative religion and philosophy versus a judgmental Old Testament kind of God. You know, I I don't believe specifically in Christianity. I believe, I even kind of believe in kind of a Buddhist belief that we are kind of reincarnated. So, you know, I'm, I've got, I've got different beliefs, you know, it's not one specific belief. The whole thing is, is that um, what you said is true. I do not um, despise or hate my family. It's just that we're different and we can't relate. And in order to be a part of it, you need to be just like, and that part I can't pull off. So sadly, you know what? you've always it, been the failure too. And I don't know why, because I think you're truly gifted and you've got such a heart and it's really sad that they can't see that. Thank you, Zach. But I do want to say, um, Jeremy and Cam, I love you guys so much and I, your boys and you are a big part of what's helped us through this. I just want you guys to know that it's like, you guys you, came out of the blue. You came into our lives like at a time when Zach and I felt so alone and it's, I become tearful with that because it's hard. It was really hard because it was like, you know, I have friends that have been there for me and there, a lot of them are in California, but, um, this beautiful woman who's been a friend of, of Zach's for many, many years, um, She's she's Patric- like 82 or 83. Patricia, I think. she feels like my sister. I mean, like we get each other and she's so giving and so kind. And it was kind of amazing because I had a friend that was going to come out from California to come be with me during Zach's surgery <clears throat> because that's the person I felt might be the most comforting. And it ended up that she came down with COVID and all of a sudden I have not, I'd not met this woman. I just heard about her. I'd speak, spoken to her on the phone she had so many godlike qualities when I say that. So she is not judgmental. She's so kind. She She's so giving. And I just felt like the first time I spoke with her that she was like my sister because, you know, here she is and she's she accepts me for who I am and I'm accepting of her for who she is. Do you know there could have been no one more fitting for that day than her? And I am forever grateful for her. Because it's because of her I was able to make it through that day. And it's like the blessings I guess maybe God has brought our way or just just made happen is that uh, at that particular time too, Jeremy came forward and Cam was very supportive. And you guys, man, we didn't expect you to buy our groceries. Shopping would have been enough. You guys went out there and you... Nothing said about money. You guys went and bought our groceries and delivered them and were worried about when the snow would come, what that would mean. And you live in another, you live in another town. It's not like you live across the street. And I just want to thank you guys and know that I love you so much. 
And it has meant the whole world to Zach and I. And we're going to get together for those chicken and dumplings soon. You know, Zach and I are still in a phase of just working through things and trying to get our lives, I don't want to say normalized, but just up to date to the point where, you know, I mean, we're we're functioning a little better, but we are going to get together. And I just have to say that I hope you listen to this because I have the most gratitude to you guys because you came when we needed someone. And it was one of the greatest gifts that I've ever experienced in my life. I want to thank you guys for that. And I love you tremendously. Yeah, you know, ra- random acts of kindness, you can never, you can never understand or grasp in today's world what a random act of kindness is and how it affects people. It could be a smile. It can be a gesture. You know, and we all are going through our own stuff all the time. And it's sometimes hard to get out of there, our own vulnerability, forget about our own problems for a moment and focus on someone else's problems. But when we do, something magical happens because we actually feel like we're connected and we're not alone and we're in this together. And, you know, that I don't think you can ever completely underestimate the power of what that means and how it affects people. It can take someone's bad day and turn it into a good day. And the same thing's true with if you're on the receiving end of that. So, you know, I think that ultimately we need to be kind and generous to one another. And um, regardless of our religious beliefs or our backgrounds and, you know, just be real with one another and be kind to one another and understand that sometimes we don't even understand one another and what we're all going through because might be there might be some private things we don't even know about. Um, but it, anyways, the bottom line is um, I feel fortunate for everything I have in my life. It comes from um, a position of gratitude and you have to learn to live grateful. Um, you know, I my life transformed out of the original surgeries, reconstructing my leg out of metal to now the amputation and having an exoprosthesis versus an endoprosthesis, it's it's a kind of a different thing. And I'm grateful because now I'm more certain that my health issues have a greater likelihood of resolving. They've just been, I've been stuck in this place for years. And I don't want to think about the fact that, you know, essentially, I don't know, <laughs> past seven or 10 years have been you know, just surviving, not thriving. But um, I'm open to what happens next. I'm open to the gifts that I'm given. I hope that I'm surprised. It would be great if some genuine love opportunity came into my life. Um, It would be wonderful if I found someone that really, truly understands me as a person. Um, My biggest fear as a person is being misunderstood. Um, I care less about it nowadays, but that's, you know, historically the way it's been. And I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of people don't really understand what it's like. So for those that do, the ones that donated to my GoFundMe and stuff, I, I mean, from the bottom of my heart, it, I can't thank you guys enough for believing in me. I, I was completely floored, you know, what is it? $5,200, $5,500 to contribute. 
Um, while insurance did pay for my leg, I mean, I can use that for insurance for Cobra um, and other things until I move on to the next chapter of my life. And I feel grateful and humbled that I receive that help. And I also feel grateful and humbled just for the simple people that have come into my life that have said, hey, can I give you a hand with that? Or, hey, I'm they don't even say anything. They just shovel our walks. We wake up in the morning and our walks are shoveled <laughs> magically. Like... And, you know, it's like, that's the world that we should all live in. It shouldn't take having your leg chopped off to be doing these things for one another. But what's amazing is we have a neighbor next door who's also a complete a-hole. Um, his tree fell through my window and nearly killed me. And um, that fucking asshole... Um, didn't lift a finger. So that's just a, that's just kind of contrast. Our neighbors on the south side of the house, everybody, and 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 in the house, um, one across from him, Jenny is also very nice. But we have a lot of really nice neighbors. Like that's the only one. But that, that guy's I can a stuck-up dick. I really, I used to be nice to him. I used to used to plow his his walk for him several like all the time. And he, he's never fucking, you know, done anything to, he, you know, he, he, he looks like a deer with, you know, oncoming headlights. He's like got that fixed look. He is completely clueless. He just he even, he even gave himself the excuse to take a, a, a tree cutter, this heavy fucking equipment that's probably 30, 30,000 pounds on a driveway that can only stand 12,000 pounds and start just doing his own shit. Um, he's one of these a-holes that took a classic house in uh, this area, tore it down, and rebuilt it. I'm not sure if you know, but if you want to do a quick Google search, you can find out how much a house in Boulder County is. It's very, very, very expensive. We're talking about usually a million dollars for a house, and then if you're going to tear it down, that's another million. So people are spending two, three, four million dollars in this area to tear down houses and rebuild it. And he's built, what do you think, is this a three or four story house? It's a tall house, but you know what, Zach, I'm kind of laughing because this is like bitch day too. I mean, what's going on with Josh and, or I'm sorry, Zach and Elaine, it's pretty easy what's going on with Zach and Elaine. We say it for what it is. And you know, Zach, I understand you're angry at this man. I can't believe that people like this exist. Um, he should be ashamed of who he is. Yeah. And the reason why is, you know what, he won't even fucking for a second just take away what he's doing and be a human. You know, it, that's all it takes. All it takes is for you to trust your gut and do the right thing. I don't even think this guy has a conscience. So anyways, I'm sorry to complain about him, but, um, you know, asshole, if you ever listen to our podcast, you ever know that, figure out that we do have a podcast, you know, we don't love to hate you, but you've made it very easy for us to love to hate you. Well, you know, that anger is legit. And, um, basically he really didn't want any part of the situation. And, um, truly, yes, if that, if a car would not have been parked where it was parked, <clears throat> Zach may not be here. That's another incident that happened along the way. <clears throat> so, excuse me, I'm still kind of recovering from my, hey, you know, Zach, we really need to put a Kleenex box on the table. I just discovered that because 
I didn't prepare for this today. And just having Kleenex box there is going to be a good thing, I think. But um, it's okay to talk about the way you feel. I mean, I'm sure all of you have have thought of that in your life. And I know that eventually forgiving people for what they've done is what we should do to be healthy. Not really forgiving them to forgive them, but to let it let it go. But it's just so close to everything else we, that we had been going through. And this man could care less that Zach is getting his leg amputated and did not even want to be a part of his tree coming through the window of our house. So, which is still needing to be repaired um, because we've been focused on so many other things. Yep. So I think um, the most important thing I'd like to leave this podcast with is try to live each day to the fullest. Um, Knowing that, like when you just spoke about this, anger's okay. It's totally legit. Um, And I still feel very angry as well um, at the lack of care. Um, And I think the part that makes me, maybe the part that's the hardest is I just don't understand. I don't understand how you can just watch and not step in, but that's me. So, you know, my brain doesn't think that way. I don't. I don't understand that. And to me, a person like that, I, I, I don't know if they don't have a conscience or, you know, where that goes. But nonetheless, yeah. That was another thing that I wasn't even thinking about that we went through during this whole time, which was just like, oh, and what else is going to happen kind of thing. But anyway... We are where we are today. We both, I think, are in a positive place. Um, and we enjoy doing these podcasts. And you'll find, you can walk our journey with us. We're there to, to try to be real about the world and to try to promote connection with people that care for one another. I guess that's really what, what you're talking about, Zach, here is is knowing that there are people out there that do care and people that we don't understand. Um, kind of kind of leads me without really anything to really say because I, I can't I can't figure out. So I can't wrap my head around what you were just talking about. I, I have the same feelings, but I can't wrap my head around it. Yep. Well anyways, I don't think there's a much more to talk about. Um, you know, we're just kind of where we're at right now. Um, so we just thought of doing just like kind of an open form podcast today. Um, we actually listened to our last podcast and, uh, towards the end, we weren't really sure (laughs) we had spoken for so long and believe it or not, I think we're actually already close to two hours here. Yeah. We're, we're just shy of two hours. So I think we need to end it pretty fast here just to (laughs) kind of keep it short. But the bottom line is we didn't, we, we thought that we hadn't really hit on the point of connection, which was our previous um, podcast that we did yesterday. But as it turns out, um, you know, we were not far off the mark. I think we did a really good job um, with addressing it and um, using, you know, our, our knowledge and our expertise um, in a very genuine way to really uh, probe at each uh, topic, uh, each subtopic of, of connection. So um, that excited us. Uh, we just had come back from church and we decided to just throw one together. Um, I was actually, what's weird is we didn't talk about it initially. It was actually a thought I had in my mind. And then when my mom mentioned, hey, you want to do one real quick? I was like, yeah, hell yeah. And then we weren't really sure what to do it on. And then I was like, well, maybe I'm going to be kind of reserved. I'm not going to, you know, come out and provide so many details about myself. But then I'm like, well, fuck it. You know, my horoscope is telling me to do it. So why not do it? 
Why not be authentic and see what happens? Because you know what people appreciate? People appreciate authentic authenticity and realness in people. And why do people appreciate that? Because there's a lot of fakeness in this world. A lot of people are afraid to to say that much about themselves because they're afraid of what other people think or they're afraid um, of offending people. But you know what? This is not to offend anyone. This is only meant to be a positive, and that's what we want it to be. For those that can relate to us, which I'm sure many of you can if you've listened to this podcast because it's about Zach and Elaine, and and we're going to have more about Zach and Elaine, just because that will help you understand why we want to have, be able to speak about things that we're so passionate about. And that's why we want to put a podcast together for Connection, because you know what? Connection is not something that just is going to happen overnight, and it may never but, you know, when you believe strongly in something, it's a voice. And having a voice in this world, we all do have that voice and we have a right to that voice. And I believe that voice can be very positive to others who may be afflicted with certain things that they can relate to us about. And if so, please do remember what Zach has told you from prior podcasts. You can come to polychromatic.com. That's P O L Y C H. R O M A T I C dot com. Sorry, A T I Q U E dot com. Would you please say it, Zach? Because I have missed. Sorry, it's so it's we've been saying like polychromatic, but it's actually polychromatique. So it's actually the French version of polychromatic, I think. At least that's what we found on the internet. It's P O L Y C H R O M A T I Q U E. Thank you. Com. So you're close, but it won't, if they go to the IC one, it's not going to take them the one. They have to go to the IQUE one. Right. Dot com. And there you can interact with us. Um, you know, it's early on. We're not seeing a ton of traction, but we've looked at some of the analytics. And um, in our last podcast, we already have 10 downloads and it's not even been a full day. So I would say that, um, you know, we're doing well there. Um you know, across all of our episodes, it's over a hundred, you know, we're getting to the hundred. So I'd say we're making progress. Um, you know, we can just keep putting them out just, you know, occasionally. Um, and then who knows, um, someday maybe we can be having real conversations with you guys. I think that's when it's going to make it more interactive and more real and more connected. Yeah. It'll be interesting. So Anyways, I don't know if you wanted to say something. No, I'm ready to go. And I hope you all have a wonderful week. Um, Tune in again. We will be releasing this one, I believe Zach said, tomorrow. Yeah, we'll release it on Monday. Um, We'll set up a schedule to auto-release it on Monday. So that way it will appear during your work week. I know for me, um, I listen to podcasts during my work week, not on the weekend so much. Um, Unless you happen to work on the weekend, um, which I guess I did. But... um, usually had Wednesdays and Sundays off, but regardless, um, it'll be there. Just know that, um, it wasn't, if it matters, it wasn't recorded on Monday. It was recorded on Sunday. So, all right, guys. Um, again, check us out on the web, polychromatique.com and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye Peace for now. Peace and love to all of you. Take care.